Well, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? Y'all awake? You should be, right? You're the second service, so y'all are good. Man, what a beautiful day outside. Um, if I haven't had a chance to meet you and you're visiting us for the first time or maybe a couple weeks in a row, my, my name's Dustin. I'm the campus pastor here. And would love to just treat you to coffee or get to connect and just uh, learn more about your family. Not in like a weird way, okay? Um, but just, uh, I know finding a church home can be overwhelming. And man, this is one big family. And, and I love this place. Obviously, I have a biased opinion as the pastor here, but man, if I can answer any questions, help you get connected, would love to do that. Um, I was out last week. I got to share this story, okay? It's, it doesn't have anything to do with today's message whatsoever, okay? There's the disclaimer. Welcome to my ADD brain, okay? But um, so last week, I was invited to speak at a friend's um, student ministry, student retreat thing up in Virginia, and um, great friend of Sloan and I's, and so said yes a while ago. And so I didn't really know what to expect. We go to this retreat center. And if you've ever been on a student retreat, whether you're a student or your student has been on one, this is how it kind of rolls out. The kids have been at school all day. They, um, they come to the church, they get in vans. They, we drove about two and a half hours to this retreat center. Um, and uh, we get there and they're, they're tired, but first session goes well on Friday night. And you know, students stay up way too late. So they stay up till like two o'clock in the morning and uh, sa Saturday comes around, they're all tired, but they're good in the morning. And then all afternoon, they're doing things like gaga ball and basketball and zip lines and ropes courses and all this other stuff. And so it gets to Saturday night session where I'm to preach, which is like every pastor's nightmare because they're dead, all right? They are, they are done. They are so exhausted, it's not even funny. And so I start to speak and I don't know, a few minutes into it, I can see the students are starting to fade, right? I'm losing them. And they're just like, and I feel like, you know, it's really hard. You got to keep them engaged and everything. And I'm not, you know, a young lad anymore, but I look and I can see I'm losing them. So I said this, I said, hey guys, listen, I was like, I know you're tired. Give me five more minutes. Hang with me five more minutes. So I go, I'm landing the plane, okay? Something happened to me that has never happened to me in my entire life, all right? I've done this a long time. So I'm wrapping it up. This kid yells out in the middle of me preaching. He goes, your five minutes is up <laughs> in the middle of it, okay? I'm like, wow, okay. So I didn't know how to respond other than say, oh, it is. And he said, yep. And I was like, okay. I said, well, what you don't know, maybe you do know, I'm a pastor and I always go long, okay? And you're gonna see like, oh, great. So what was funny is I saw him on the next morning at breakfast and I went up to him and I was like, hey, what's your name? He told me and I said, man, you just made history in my preaching book, you know? And he's like, oh, what? And I said, I've never had anybody just call me out and say your five minutes is up in the middle of the message. And he said, well, it was, <laughs> that's what he said. He goes, you said five minutes and it was up. And I was like, okay. And he goes, plus, you like preached for like an hour. That's what he told me. Well, I timed myself. I preached for 22 minutes, which is like a record, okay? And so the leader's like, he didn't preach for an hour, buddy. And uh, the kid's like, well, if he didn't last night, he did the times before. That's what he said. I'm like, listen here, little kid, you need Jesus, all right? You're about to, you're about to meet him right now. Um, but uh, it was so, it's so good to be back, man. Miss you guys. I know Corey did a fantastic job. Man, he's a lot more buff and better looking, but he's got nothing on me, okay? Uh, I got old man strength. But 
Man, it's good to be here. We're continuing and really kind of concluding in the final days of Jesus's life. If you remember, you've been with us at the beginning of the year, um, coming off of Christmas. We really started at young Jesus, really earlyhood Jesus, and have been following his life, his ministry, his message. And, and so it brings us um, to today's message, uh, really a good remembering for us, uh, especially if you're a believer, something that we should engage with. That's not just something that's kind of over here and obsolete, but something that we participate in um, as we're gonna celebrate communion as the, um, the Lord's Supper um, today. So we'll have an opportunity to do that. We haven't done that in a long time and I think it's appropriate for us to do that. Um, we're doing that across all of our campuses. Um, and so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 22, chapter 22. So Corey just kind of set us up. We see... Oh man, it's been weeks ago in Luke 9 where Jesus actually, or scripture says, Luke writes that Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. So he was baptized, went through temptation, started miracles and messages. And then it says he set his face to Jerusalem, meaning he was going to begin the process of really walking closer and closer to his death, his death on a cross. And so we see he's working his way through Jerusalem and Corey, last week, we uh, walked through Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Uh, what's typically known as Palm Sunday, which we'll celebrate next week. But you see Jesus coming in, really it's kind of a king's entrance, but not with all the hoopla. And um, he's coming in on a donkey, you know, like if I'm coming in a town, I'm coming in on a Ferrari, you know, or at least a really nice camel, not a donkey, all right? And Jesus comes in with this donkey. And what's so interesting in this moment is as he's walking in, really the, starting the final days of his life, uh, what Corey showed was really he's worthy as king, celebrate as king, but you saw kind of two reactions. One was the crowd and the disciples that were worshiping Jesus. And then you had the religious elite, the scribes, the Pharisees who rejected Jesus. They essentially told Jesus, tell your disciples just to be quiet, rebuke them right now. And Jesus said, if I tell them to be quiet, even the rocks will cry, cry out. And so you have this incredible moment. And so as we're walking through that, we get to this time, a really intimate time with Jesus and his disciples. And so let's read this. Um, I'm gonna kind of give you some historical background because I think it's important for where we're going this morning. But in Luke chapter 22, it's also be on the screens. It says this, it says, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. Now this was a really, really important holiday to the Jews. Historically speaking, for hundreds, if not thousands of years, this was something that they celebrated every single year. Now, Passover was usually on the 14th day of the month, and then it was concluded by seven more days of this feast of unleavened bread. And here's why it's important. Now, if you know your story, um, Old Testament times, or you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt by Disney, all right, um, you would know this, that the Israelites, the Jews were in slavery in Egypt under this uh, wretched king, King Pharaoh. And they were enslaved for hundreds of years, man, just working them to the bone, didn't care about them whatsoever. And so God raised up a guy by the name of Moses. And Moses was actually a Jew or he Hebrew by blood. And if you remember mom, his mom, 
because there was a decree to kill children, put them in a basket, sent them down a river, and he was adopted into King Pharaoh's family. And so even though he was Hebrew in blood, he was raised in royalty under King Pharaoh. Some drama took place when he got older and he was excommunicated from Egypt. And while he's in, uh, he's excommunicated, uh, God shows up in a burning bush. How crazy is that? Don't you wish like, I don't know about you, this is selfish of me, I know. But there are like big moments in my life where I wish God would like show up in a burning bush or a burning something. I don't care, you know? I don't care if it's my car burning, <laughs> you know? Well, maybe I do. But that he would like audibly say, Dustin, here's what I want you to do. And that's what he did. He came to Moses and he said, Moses, I'm gonna use you to help rescue your people, my people. You're gonna get them out of the, the, the wicked hand of Pharaoh. And Moses is thinking, I'm unqualified for this. But God said, I want you just to do this. And so Moses obeys, he goes, he tells Pharaoh, ha Pharaoh, you're gonna let all these people go. And Pharaoh's like, you're a, you're a joke. No, I'm not, you know, who are you type thing. And so through the process, God sends in his sovereignty, 10 plagues to really get Pharaoh's attention, to get the people of Egypt's attention. And it's all these plagues and Pharaoh, it says his heart was hard. He just would not do it. So God sends the final plague, which is really the angel of death. Doesn't that sound like a really cool movie, but it wasn't cool, all right? And so what ends up happening is he is going to send this angel that is going to kill the firstborn of every family, even livestock. And in that process, God goes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to tell all the Israelites to go get a male lamb who's about one years old without blemish. And I want you to tell them to sacrifice that lamb, to eat the meat, and then to take the blood and put it over your doorpost. And when the angel of death comes over Egypt, he will pass over your house because of the blood that was shed and will spare your children's life and that will get Pharaoh's attention. And so that's exactly what happened. And so when that took place and Pharaoh said, okay, get out of here, I've had enough. And they begin to leave. Moses makes a really bold statement. He says, we're going to remember this day. He looks at all the Israelites as the leader and says, remember this. Do not forget this event. Do not forget what's taken place. Don't forget what's happened. Don't forget the blood that was shed from a sacrificial lamb. All of these, do not forget this. It actually becomes law to celebrate then the Passover every year to rejoice and to celebrate God sparing their life and sparing their kid's life and rescuing them. It's a monumental moment that for year after year after year, the Israelites celebrated this. And what you can really be said in the Passover is that through this, it's really a simple principle that to be delivered from judgment, it required death. And then to take it a step further, you really see in this that, you know, while we might not be able to resonate with a holiday quite like this, maybe Christmas is the closest to this, but what it represented in this, I mean, it's, it's a big, big deal that the only way for them to um, skirt judgment, if you will, and to die was by substitute, by a lamb that was without blemish. And so what they would do to represent as they celebrated this holiday, they would get together 
and it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it's unleavened because, I think this is funny, I'm not a baker, so I don't know all these terms, but they had to leave Egypt so fast that like the yeast, the leaven in the bread couldn't even rise. They were like, just grab your stuff and let's go. And so they do that, that's why it's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread in this, but so they would celebrate with this meal, and then on top of that, they would sacrifice a lamb. Every Passover, Jewish families would do this. And it was a big deal. There was actually a rule that if you lived within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem, every Jewish male had to go. It was mandatory to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. I mean, thousands of thousands of thousands of people came to Jerusalem to celebrate this moment. And so you have this time where Jesus is gathered in Jerusalem. This is what you did. Everybody's gathered from all over the place to represent, you know, this historical narrative, this religious duty, if you will, that they were, they were going through. And so they're all together for that. Verse two, it says, the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death for they feared the people. Now, I know I'm kind of going through this verse by verse. I just want to set this picture up. Now, think about this. In a time that every Jewish man especially should be celebrating the Passover and walking through this, you have the elite uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes that have been looking for a way to put Jesus to death. They're in the shadows while they should be worshiping. What are they doing? They're scheming. They're super sketch. They, they should be worshiping Jesus. And I, I always, my mind is blown by this. If anybody, we talked about this in small group this past week a little bit. They knew scripture. They knew the Old Testament prophecies. They knew the writings. They knew everything from the prophets. All, they knew everything. And yet Jesus was right in front of them, the Messiah that was talked about and prophesied through all those things, but yet they totally missed him. And yet they wanted to kill him and to put him to shame. And so while they should be worshiping this, and this kind of hit me, I was kind of journaling this, walking through this this week. It really like hit home to me with God's grace. It shows how, how close you can be to religion, yet totally not know Jesus. You can go through all the rituals. You can know all the scripture. You can know all the church things. You can know when I need to raise my hand during this song. I know what communion's all about. I know John three sixteen. Ooh, <laughs> you know, and I know all these things. And it just shows to me, you can know all the church stuff. You can know all the religious stuff to do, yet still not know Jesus. And the Pharisees were like that. We're gonna see another character is like that as well. And so they're scheming in this, trying to figure out a way to kill him. Now think about that. They didn't wanna kill him because they feared the people, it said. Why? Thousands of people are there. It is such a big deal that really the Roman authorities are on edge because it's occupied by Rome. King Herod is there. Pontius Pilate, the governor, is there. They want to make sure a riot doesn't break out because it's like a recipe for disaster where someone could overthrow the government. And you don't know. A lot of people had a, a, a conception, a preconceived notion, if you will, that Jesus was going to do that. So they're all on edge, but they don't want to kill Jesus. And then all the Jesus followers then ride against them. And so this is their plan. It says in verse 3, it says, then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the 12. Now that's an interesting verse. There's a lot of theological things that we could talk about 
We can't talk about that now, but Satan entered into Judas and he went away and conferred with the chief priest and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, of course they were. And they agreed to give him money. And so he consented and he sought an opportunity to betray him, to betray Jesus to them in the absence of a crowd. So he was the spy. He's like, I'm gonna get this done. I'm gonna go in and we don't have to make a big scene. Uh, I'll show you. So here comes the celebration of the Passover. Verse seven says, then um, came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And so Jesus said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you and follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with the disciples? Now this kind of seems funny to me. They're like, go into town. You're gonna see a man carrying a jar. He's the guy. That's kind of like saying that person over there with brown hair, <laughs> you know, but they knew. And, and culturally speaking, men, believe it or not, didn't carry a lot of waters uh, or jars of water. Usually the women did that. So I guess it, just, it stood out. So they say, go and prepare it. Verse 13, and they went, they found it just as he had told them and they prepared for the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to him saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And when they began to question, and then they began to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. Man, could you imagine this moment? What we see is this place called the upper room where Jesus goes up. He's about to celebrate with his uh, disciples. And it really was a time of celebration. And it was really interesting that Jesus knows he's about to suffer, but he says, I've been looking forward to this moment to be with you. And what we're gonna see is that really, this is kind of the final Passover. Because in the Old Testament, as the sacrificial lamb's blood was shed and put on the doorpost for judgment to, to pass over, what we're going to see is now Jesus is that substitute. He is the sacrificial lamb. And he's telling his disciples this. And you got to imagine their mind is going all over the place. It, like there's a, um, a, events are starting to change because they're gathering together and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, this is gonna be my last one. I'm going to suffer. And they kind of knew that, but at the same time, it didn't really connect with them. And yet as they're having this intimate moment and, they're, and he's talking about the bread and the body and the blood that was shed, 
He then is sitting around the table and he says, but one of you here is going to betray me. And you're sitting right here. And this is a huge moment. And I don't want you to miss this because what was traditionally just a ritual for religious sakes or even mandatory, when Jesus begins to sit at the table with his disciples, I love it. It says that he reclined, all right? He's like chilling, all right? But in this moment, all of a sudden, it becomes really personal. It's not just some religious duty and celebration year after year that you do. Jesus is there and he says, you know what? This is my body. This is my blood. This is the moment. It's becoming really, really personal. It's not just some holiday, man. It is right here, right now. And so as he gathers the disciples, and what's really interesting is that the Passover feast was not like a, what I would say, a dips, chip, and fellowship, you know, where like you just go and have a meal real quick. It was a process. There was usually four cups that were served during this, um, all with diluted wine. And that's a true story, okay? And not just because we're in church, all right? And, and through this, usually after the first cup, it would be passed around. And then they would have a time of cleansing is what they called it. So they would go and actually wash their hands. This is usually the time what we see in the gospels where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And it was a time for them to check themselves, to check their heart, to say, okay, what sin am I bothered by? What am I struggling with? How am I worshiping God? How's my relationship with other people? Am I treating them well? It's, it's this time of reflection in this. And so they're sitting down and it's this process and here's what blows my mind in this. And here's what I don't want you to miss. Judas, while he was, already, he was scheming, he washed his hand, he, he, he faked it. He didn't really cleanse his heart per se. Yet he was still sitting at the table. Jesus knew it. And what I love is that Jesus still invited him to that table. All the sin, all the mess, he said, hey, even though I know it, I want you to come sit at this table. And all about you, that just reminds me with God's grace and, and what we're gonna see and just kind of break down here is no matter what you're going through right now, no matter what your baggage is, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you're currently struggling with, what you're going to struggle with, Jesus is saying, come to the table, be with me. I want you to experience this. And here's what he wants you to experience. One, what we see in this is that Jesus's body is broken. So we see he has some bread and bread was, you know, traditional with that. It probably didn't look like this because this has yeast in it, okay? Um, but he looks at him and says, hey, you see this bread? This symbolizes my body. And here's where it gets personal. He doesn't say my body was broken for all them over there. He doesn't say the body is broken for really, the really, really bad people. He says, my body, this is, this is the bread. This is my body that was broken for who? You. It makes it personal, you. Jesus's body was broken for them then and for you and me today. His body was broken. We're about to celebrate that with Easter. And we see the crucifixion. And while maybe his bones weren't necessarily broken, what we see is great torture and affliction. We read in Isaiah 53, the prophet 700 years prior says, he, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. And yet 
We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's our sin. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. So he's pierced for our transgressions, personal. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sin, personal. And then he was chastised and it would bring us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And so we see this moment where Jesus is passing this bread and I envision, it doesn't say this, not a lot of detail. As he's tearing it and breaking it apart and he's handing pieces to his disciples, I can imagine it gets real personal as he's looking them into their eyes and saying, this is my body. It's broken for you. And to think that he even did that to Judas. Could you imagine Going to Judas, who you know is going to betray you, who's messed up and is just scheming in all these things. And he goes to Judas and he says, this is my body. It's broken for you. And then he, he goes and we see his body was broken, but we also know his blood was shed. And so he takes this fourth and final cup of the, of the uh, feast of Passover. And he would share this and it would circle around the table of his disciples and you got to imagine there's so much symbolism here. Judas didn't say, you know what? My heart's really nasty right now. I shouldn't partake in that. He partook. So he drinks of that. And what's really interesting is you will see this next week. Jesus is in the garden and he's actually begging God to take the cup from him. I almost wish that Judas would have said, you know what? I'm I'm a nobody. I've really messed up. I can't drink that, Jesus. But he faked it, but that is what it is. But in that moment, as it's being passed around, Jesus is saying, my blood was shed for you, for you. Not for the religious elite, not for the people that memorize all the Old Testament, not for the people that go to church every single Sunday, but for you, for you to come and to bring everything that you have to him. And he says that his blood that was shed, it's shed as part of a new covenant. What's that new covenant? The old covenant was, hey, sacrifice a lamb to atone for your sins. Sacrifice an ox, burn some incense, bring it to the tabernacle, bring your first fruits, all these different offerings. He says, all that's said and done now. He said, I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the final Passover. I'm the final sacrifice. So this new covenant is a covenant, not just of obedience and offering, but now it's one of forgiveness. That because of my body being broken and my blood being shed, what the new covenant says is I'm offering you grace. I'm offering you forgiveness. And ultimately I'm offering you salvation because here's the reality through the body and blood of Christ, our salvation became possible. There is no way for you and me to save ourselves. You, you can eat all the bread that you want and drink all the juice that you want and remember and pray all day long. That doesn't get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is having a relationship with Jesus and by him dying on that cross and you recognizing your sin, acknowledging that, confessing that and surrendering to him. It's through the body that was broken and the blood that was shed of Jesus that you and I can have that relationship. Not religion, not ceremony, relationship. And that's what Jesus was incorporating and establishing in this moment around the table that his body was broken and his blood was shed. And then finally, that his promise was fulfilled. Meaning, 
You look at the Old Testament, you see all these uh, prophecies that pointed to Jesus, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, some different prophets that pointed to this moment. Jesus said from the beginning, hey, I'm the son of God. It is who I, I am. I am who I am. I'm the resurrection. I'm the bread of life. All these different things. All of this is culminating together in this moment because he's like, I'm looking forward to this because I'm about to suffer. And I want you guys to understand what is happening. So he's looking at his disciples and he's inviting them into this opportunity. And this morning, we're about to partake in this opportunity together. As you'll see on the tables in front, there's um, little cups of juice and a little wafer, the wafer representing the body that was broken for you, the juice representing the blood that was shed for you. Because here's what I do know at a crossroads, when we read this, here's the thing, when we remember, we respond. And here's what I want you to think about this in response to whatever God's doing in your heart this morning is that as the band leads and excuse me, as we partake in communion together, how has the blood of Jesus, how has his body been broken, being broken, impacted your life? And I'm not just saying, I'm saying beyond just that one time where you prayed a little prayer and everything. How does it impact you? How does the gospel message and who Jesus was impact you as a dad, guys? How is it impacting you as a husband? Wives, how, how is it impacting you in your marriage? Or as a mom, how you raise your kids? Not just a ceremonial thing. This isn't just something that's come down here whatever. How does the body being broken and the blood being shed for you impact your life? It's the gospel. And I would say that if you're here this morning, one, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, then it's, it's hard for you to partake in communion and remember something that you haven't experienced. And I would love to talk to you about that. We don't do anything embarrassing. You can come down front. I'll be here. We can talk. We can talk afterwards. But if you're wrestling with that question, like I don't know if it really has impacted me. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Let today be that day. But I'm gonna pray, the band's gonna lead us and just however you feel led, you can come forward a couple instructional things. If, if you can come down these aisles, get and then go out the outside aisles back to your seat, it would just help traffic pattern. Um, and go back and really ask God, or maybe just thank him for how he's impacted your life. Let this be something that we never, ever forget. Let us remember who Jesus is and how he's impacted our life together. Let's pray as we close. Father, well, I know it's, it's really kind of a hard concept to physically think about your body being broken and your blood being shed for us. We see in this, this moment in the upper room where Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and something that was just so routine. They did it every year. That God, all of a sudden, this moment became real personal. And it was about salvation. Not some religious duty, not some church ordinance, not something that you just did every now and then. And it made you feel good about yourself, but something that became personal. Because we see that Jesus's body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And so God, in this moment, my prayer is that as a church, as believers, that as we partake of communion, that it's not just some juice and a wafer, but Father, it is a remembering that we are responding to and saying, thank you, God, 
Thank you for your body being broken, your blood being shed. And for the person that's here that doesn't know you, hasn't had that time, Father, I pray that today would be that day. They realize you are inviting them to that table and saying, come be with me. I offer you forgiveness of your sins and grace and love to live for me. Surrender now. And that God, today would be that day of salvation for that person. And Father, we just respond now. It's in your son's name, amen. So the band's gonna lead us as you feel led. Come down, grab um, a little packet and head back to your seats and then we'll close and worship together.